Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Life of Education podcast. Today, we're here with Paul Thorne Lee. You're one of the faculty teachers for Real Pilates. Indeed, I am, yep. Amazing. And one of the reasons why we wanted to come and pick your brain um, was about all of this fascial study that that you do. Indeed, yeah. It's um Hot topic at the moment in the fitness industry. Massively. Well, we, yeah, we have our kind of, we've spoken to people about this as well, but there's definitely a lot of old stuff and then there's a lot of new stuff that we're hearing. So we wanted to obviously find out what the whole deal is. But before we get into it, maybe tell everybody about who you are and uh, what you do here in Dubai. Cool. Well, um, my name is Paul and I work at Real Pilates and um, I've been here now seven years. So... I was originally brought over to, um, uh, if you know Rail Platters, they're based in Jumeirah originally. But um, Reza, who's the boss, he got asked to open another studio, which was in a more expatriate area. And, of course, he needed some staff to staff that uh, facility. And I was available. And uh, as I'm an instructor trainer, uh, which means I, do, I can teach courses in the Stop Pilates method, I was an ideal candidate. I came over. Originally, I was in the Jumeirah studio while ours was opening and getting furnished, which was quite a weird experience because I, I, it was my first time in this region working. And, of course, with all the la- ladies' hours and the restriction of where you can and can't go. But once we moved into JLT, it's been literally like a rocket ship. We've, we've just been full from day one. It's been amazing. Yeah. So I, I brought with me my skill set of uh, being a neuromuscular therapist, mm-hmm. which I'm not allowed to do here because of the licensing laws. But... Uh, but that's all based on fascial release and understanding myofascial trigger points. So I can I can utilize that skill set in my how I approach treating chronic injury or muscular pain, whether it's somebody who is just uh, somebody sat on the couch or we have high performance athletes. And uh, and then in my Pilates world, I'm like the lead IT for the whole Middle East region. So I get the privilege of teaching and sharing what I've learned and what I understand to all the, to the future future instructors. And uh, all my clients. So what's a neuromuscular therapist? So there was a guy named Leon Chetow. He's the legend in the osteopathic world. And um, so much so his uncle invented osteopathy. He was one of the founding fathers of it. And when I was in Ireland looking for a course to do, he and a guy named John Sharkey, who is um, the lead clinical anatomist and the biotensegrity group, which we'll get to later, they, he has a college in Ireland called the National Training Centre, and they, want, they do soft, uh, soft tissue specialist courses, sports massage, things like that. And John and Leon created this course called Neuromuscular Therapy. So it's like an advanced sports massage to start off with. So you've got two years of doing basic massage, orthopedic sports massage, and then the neuromuscular techniques, which are very similar to osteopathic techniques. And then from there, then if you chose to, uh, every two and a half years they run the high diploma, which is another two and a half years continuation, where you really got into the European version of it, which was... Leon Chato's specialty, learning about um, soft tissue release, positional release, all these really cool techniques and how to find and identify where pain is coming from and the root of it and how you would then approach treating it in quite an investigative way. And then in tandem that, we got to do the American version of neuromuscular therapy from a lady named Judith Delaney and her team from Florida, and they come over, and they have a very much more A to Z approach. So it's much more very specific massage and specific uh, ischemic pressures and specific manual techniques. Yeah, so just talk a little bit about, like, what, what would an example of a technique be? Like, what 
it's not just soft tissue. It's not just effleurage and petrosage. No, no, that's just basic massage. That's yeah. just rubbing tissue and, and, and working your way through different fibers yeah. and identifying where these tissues are going and how you're going to approach getting in there. What you're looking to do is, is to find out where the, where the dysfunction is within tissue specific. So firstly, you would do a, a thermal palpation. You would literally take your hand over the top. We can't tell the difference whether it's cold or hot. So you immediately feel a, a heat change whether it's cold or hot on somebody's body. And as you come across about an inch over, if the temperature changes, that would indicate an area where there would be some sort of dysfunctional tissue. Then you would then do some sort of skin dragging. So as you take your thumb across some of the skin in this particular area, if it's smooth and it runs true and fluid, then those fibres are fine. But when you get the sense of a drag, that indicates an addition or a, a cross-link within the fibres, which is preventing the f- tissues from gliding as they should. And that's when you would then pay attention to there. If you press a trigger point and it's an active one, then it will refer pain that they recognise. So it'll be, it may be, for instance, people who have sciatic pain. Uh, that, that's the pain that runs down the back of the leg from a nerve in the bum. If they've had treatment for sciatic before from traditional uh, approaches and they're not getting success, then I would then look at a muscle which I know refers pain and mimics the sciatic issue, which is in your glute minimus. And if you press it and it's an active one, it will refer pain exactly like it's the sciatic pain. And then you know it's the myofascial trigger point that's been formed, which is creating the pain, not the supposed sciatica that they think they're experiencing. And then you would treat it. You treat it ischemically, either just pressing. And trigger points are myofascial, they're a hyper-irritable nodule of chemicals that are formed. Yeah, so talk a little bit about that, because that's a common word thrown around, a trigger point, release, trigger yeah. point therapy. Mm. That's right, it's very common. I've got a trigger point in my, in my neck. So, but basically, it's an energy crisis. So, chemical, we are just a, a, a plethora of chemical activity underneath here. So, when they say you are what you eat, it's really true. We are what we eat, and, and how we, the quality of movement, the art of movement, has sort of been lost. So, if you move incorrectly, you, create, you transmit forces inefficiently. Those inefficient movements create inefficient contraction phases. There's a byproduct to that. For instance, if you saw wood, and you saw a wood, then there's a byproduct to this, of, of the wood, which is the sawdust. Well, the same is inside the body. You get this byproduct of, of poor contraction phases. It creates an energy crisis which the body can't control, and it will create these and form these hyper-irritable nodules, which lie deep to the fibril of a fiber of a muscle and right into the belly of the fascial tissue, and that you cannot stretch them out. They're impossible to stretch out because the tissue just, they just go around it like, a, like water around a rock in a, in, a, in a river. You're just not going to move them. Uh, so you need specific techniques to influence them, to move on, to get that chemical to release. But first, you have to decide why it's been formed. There's no good just releasing these things that are there that have been formed if you don't change what creates them. Because they just come back, and they come back with a vengeance. And uh, that's the scenario where people go to, to get treatments where they have these releases done, and people in gyms are doing myofascial release, but they're not recognizing why the body has decided to create them in the first place. So why, why does the body create those in the first place? Well, there's several reasons. Poor movement. Mm-hmm. Or, or poor understanding of how to create stability. So if you don't consciously make stability properly throughout your skeletal system, your body will find a way to do it properly for you. Without you deciding, it will just do it. And because it does it that way, you, then you end, you end up with these uh, poor movement dysfunctions. And we see this in gyms every single day. We're fixing them 13 hours a day. Injuries that people are creating, whether it's in a gym or just in work or doing some sort of activity, where they're not aware of how they're creating these loads on their structure and the impact that that's having because they train one, one dimensionally. Mm-hmm. They're not aware of the requirement to have multiple modalities in their body. And so then we, so that's kind of the, the external cause. Yes. 
What's the actual internal cause? Is it like a sodium potassium imbalance? Is it a calcium? Is it an, an extra? Well, there's many imbalances in chemicals, and, and I, I personally don't specialize in, in hormones and chemicals because the people at doctors that they don't know. So, but what it basically is, if you, if you, if you over-tension and you create that ATP, and then from adenosine triphosphate that is required for contractions, you then get your adenine dye. And then got to, it's got to find a way to re- replace that. But if it's doing it the same way all the time, you have this imbalance of biotensegrity where you have excessive compression and excessive tensile forces on the opposing side, then it's an inefficient contraction phase that's happening all the time. So it, doesn't, it can't provide the same efficient energy to create these contraction phases and replace its energy stores and replace the right uh, and molecular structure to form these contractions. Okay. Does yeah. that make sense without yeah. making it complicated? Well, I mean, if, if it, make it as complicated as, as, you, as you need to, you know, like go for it. Because like, it's a common thing and, and that people throw around and they band around. And, you know, I've been in conversations as well where we talk about trigger points, talk yep. about trigger point release. It's difficult to explain what it is. Be, firstly, from the research that I used to be taught back in the day, it was never convincing that I was being taught what it, what it is. For sure. Um, people talk about sodium potassium imbalances, the, 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 the small little muscle fibers stay t- tight in a contraction. And then but so it's not the muscle fibers that stay in contraction. The muscle fibers, it's the trigger points that pull in. Like, like if you have a ball of wool, and right in the center there's a piece of wool that has these, as, as a chemical, or you tr- prov- create a pull in the center, and it pulls end to end. And those, that pull creates a line of force, and that's where that force transmits up that line. So the, f- the, the, the sensation, the effect is felt distant mm-hmm. from where the cause is. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, I understand that. Mm-hmm. But so then what's creating that pull? Again, it's that chemical imbalance. And I, and I really don't know the chemical compound because they sure. don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like doc- there's a guy named Dr. Shea who um, is a amazing... Have you heard of Travell and Simons? They're body worth legends. Uh, one of their research doctors, Dr. Shea, of course, the medical fraternity wanted to understand what a trigger point was. So he had to go to NASA and get a needle that they could do diffusion in. Right, okay. So they could take it in, into a trigger point, and draw out the chemicals and give them the components. So yeah. this is what it is. This backs up the research. This identifies it as a thing rather than a mythical object yeah. in the body. Yeah. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, it's hard to explain for me because I would do a lot of like trigger point release, just pressure, m- moving the joint pressure on just allowing that kind of the tension and the pain dissipate a bit through the what the person feels but like you said digging into certain points to release you know my shoulder sore at the front all right well let's go in through infraspinatus or let's go look somewhere else yep um it works wonders but when people push me for the what's going on yeah i i can't honestly give to any sort of level of the depth that you're describing well and I'd like, I like my clients to own their body so I assume they're geniuses until they tell me otherwise yeah okay right? if they don't want to know they don't want to know but yeah. if they want if they, I assume everyone wants to know about their body and yeah. then they're in charge of the, of the effects and the, and the, and the progress and, and success of our approach to moving better so I ask them what they're doing why they're doing things and I assess their body and I look at how they are structurally positioned and once you see that then it's, it's really easy to identify where they're loading their body inefficiently and why they're creating these scenarios where they're moving ineffectively or they're fatiguing too quickly or they're not getting this personal best that they're desperate to get or they're pushing themselves and keep getting repetitive injuries. And what they're doing, they're, they're not facilitating their, their, their tissues and training them to heal. They're just training them to take force. And, and that is just a, that, that's a repetitive scenario that people have. And as a consequence, 
you create this um, imbalance in the, this chemical nature, which creates these pulls on these tissues. And when you talk about fascia, people have never heard of it, and I, I'm, I, I'm aghast that people don't know what it is, and especially in our industry, it's what we're made of. It's our architectural tissue. It is what we are. Muscles don't grow first. Fascia grows first. Muscular fibers grow in between and, and amongst the fascia to create our form. So then just identifying exactly what is fascia then like what's the what is it made of why is it not muscle fiber why is it not well what is a muscle fiber yeah well i mean i'm for people who are listening who won't know yeah for sure so uh, basically uh, there's about 13 types of collagen in the body Uh, we uh, i talk about three of them but basically collagen fibers are the fibers that create our structure and uh, then you have a and they're, they're like steel they can go steel and you can only stretch them 10 percent of themselves so there are major structural um, fibers within the body that are fascial created. So right now in Germany, what they're doing is a place called a Bergen, and there's a, plastinari- a plastinarium where they're literally taking the human form and they're taking out all of the muscular fibers out of the body. There are literally zero muscular fibers, but you're maintained with your whole structure. Okay. But if you take away all the fascial fibers, you're just a blob. Right. And what they're trying to reinforce is that if we understand how fascia is formed... And, and we understand its role in the body and movement and life, then we can influence it better. And if we understand those influences, we'll change how we approach exercise, change how we approach rehabilitation, we'll change how we approach prehabilitation. And it's it literally just been, for me, I've been doing it now for 17 years. And it really, I just find it astonishing that the, the, the world that we live in, the fitness and the health and the rehabilitation, that they're not approaching it in a really more efficient way and a more effective way. They're just so stuck in a... And a, a 500-year-old way of teaching anatomy. Yeah. Yeah, I do think there's a lot of uh, problems around that, f- factoring also in the, the effect of the nervous system. Well, yeah, for sure. That's also in these entry-level anatomy courses. And in the anatomy course that we did for, for the website for life education, there is, in one sense, there is only so much you can cover, you know, from in a linear time perspective to give people enough to get them out in the industry but that said, that's it's, how you, it's how you set the foundation of their learning. And I think that's where we've gone a bit little, it's a little old-fashioned, and we're stuck in, a, in, a, in a, an approach that is flawed. And then once you've set that standard and that's their approach, then their learning then becomes flawed. So, for instance, we know that biomechanical, which is the traditional understanding of anatomy and physiology, mm-hmm. doesn't work. It's a flawed mechanics, it's a flawed mathematics approach. Because we're not linear, we're not mechanical. We don't work, and nothing in the body works in a linear way. There are no straight lines within the body, and it doesn't move in the straight lines. So if you think of how we're formed, we're formed from an embryo, and it's an embryotic state that we're formed in, and it's in the round. And everything is within that embryotic state, and as it grows, it's, it's not about your genes, it's about the organism that creates us. And it's from within, and it's integrative, and it's uh, all-inclusive. There is no separate parts. I, I like to go on dissection courses, and cut things up and go inside. And you have to destroy to get to something. Yeah. There is literally no layers in the body. They don't, do not exist. And when you see the nervous system within the body and see how it's meant to run and how beautiful it is inter- internally, and you think, why do we keep doing the same exercises to entrap them so that we, we dehydrate tissue in such a way that it creates these myofascial issues, it creates this damage to that structure so the nerves can't move properly and innovate our body in the way it's meant to. And, uh, and, and consequently, if we don't set our foundation out, people continue to do it. And then the likes of me and my other educators, we have to 
retrace this back and then undo all these myths of how you approach a movement, how you approach a loading, how you approach progression or regression. There's so much there I want to pick you up on. Please. I know. I was going to... Yeah. I had like 15 uh, questions. No, no, no. It's great. No, can you start from the beginning? Well, well talk <laughs> to me just... To, let's, let's go finish right there with the myths. So what are the myths that you have to undo and then how would you go about undoing them? There are no origin insertions in the body. Okay. So what would your definition of the origin and the insertion be? There is no origin insertion in the body. So for instance, we uh, 500 years ago... Bellini was given the body by the church and said, you can have it for anatomy knowledge, but we get the soul. So he picked a body, a dead body, and lifted the arm. And because he lifted the arm that way, he said that that's flexion, and it has this amount of degrees in it. But he didn't take into account morphology, changing of structure, spiralization. So for nearly 500 years, people have been approaching how they do their doctorates and their masters and their Yeah, because I'm going to, like, at university, I did a BA in med science. So we dissected cadavers... Everything for the first year of anatomy and physiology, this is the origin, this yeah. is the insertion point, this is origin. And it's taught still that way in yes. all medical programs. Exactly. This is the origin, this is in the insertion. And this is the fight that's happening now in the biotensegrity group. So you, have a, you, either, you can either have a biomechanical approach, which will be very linear, it'll be very number orientated, it'll be very angle, this should be this, if it's not this we must take it there. Or you look at the body as it really is formed, and it's a biotensegrity formation which comes from, and the, that was uh, the originator of that, or the one who started the research into it properly, was a, a doctor named uh, Dr. Stephen Levin. He's an orthopedic surgeon in the U state, in the United States, and he was sat outside the Smithsonian uh, watching these skeleton forms outside, and he went, how on earth does that 100-foot tail not fall over? Because the, the skeletal system is exactly the same as the humans. We're made of exactly the same thing. How does that not fall over? If we have a spinal column like the Burj Khalifa, then our sacrum, L5 and S1, has to be the size of an elephant's foot. Okay. To take that load. But we don't move that way. But we teach it that way. And we have to, we have to evolve it, and we, that's what's been happening over the last... Well, for my 17 years, it's, it's the first thing I was taught, to ignore this, and this is the way we're going to go. Mm. And you cannot bring the, this bone closer to this bone. It's not possible. This end of this bone does not come close to this. You just shorten the fibers between, but it doesn't actually change the origin or insertion. And when you go into the body, and I don't know if you found this when you did your dissections, but often muscular fibers are not where you expect them to be. They were never where I wanted them to right? be. They're not they there. Look different everybody's every different. They don't fit on a two dimensional thing. It's, very, it's a very three, four, five dimensional uh, approach. And when I was in there, when I was doing my last dissection, uh, and again, it's, it, I don't understand anybody. You wouldn't send your Ferrari to a mechanic that's never lifted the bonnet. But we send our bodies to personal trainers and to fitness specialists and physiotherapists and osteopaths and all these people who are amazingly trained but have never seen under the skin. Yeah, that's true. But we trust them. Yeah. And we trust them with a the theory that we know is flawed. So because let's they go don't, we don't know better, you see? We don't know better. So we challenge everybody, and I challenge all my students to challenge me and challenge my colleagues, and I challenge my mentors. So that it makes us think, it makes us question, it makes us get curious about how things are happening. So, for instance, I saw this cadaver we were doing, uh, that the tongue, we wanted, the one, what we were trying to achieve was how far does the tongue go down the body? How far can I keep that connection? And we got down to the toe. Talk us through that. Yeah, we, I dissected from the side. I was with another colleague who was amazing. Uh, she's just a yoga instructor, but we're passionate about anatomy and physiology and understanding it properly because we have the privilege of teaching people. So the better we know, the better we can cue, better we can observe and correct. 
So I cut one side down the lateral side of her ribcage, come across the iliac crest into a pubic symphysis. She did the other side. We peeled away, and she had a scar just here. And understanding the, uh, the issue scars have on the body and on that fascial structure, and how instead of you having this lovely, nice, neat scar here, when a surgeon goes in and until about 2007, they used to cut fascia and throw it away, just discard it. It wasn't part of your body. Like I say, to get somewhere, you have to destroy something to get to it, and they would just cut it and throw it. And when they cut, when you get a scar, just like if I cut this T-shirt, I can't get the fibres to knit back, smooth them beautifully. They just don't do it. So what they do, connective tissue, it's deep, and it wants to connect to something, and it literally dives down. And you end up with this lovely, neat scar on top, and they, don't get me wrong, surgeons do a delicious job, and it's amazing what they do to our body. But... The, what the effect of that is inside is like a shipwreck and these fibers yeah. go in multiple directions and they continue to grow if you don't teach them to heal properly if you don't go through the rehabilitation properly process correctly those fibers will continue to grow because of the forces and lines of pull creating on them and in this instance what we found when we pulled it up it was literally like a whole inside had been pulled up to the center and they, we found when we'd gone in and we actually eventually dissected it, it took us nearly half a day to take away the, the underlying part of her tissues from the skin and once we got there there was a herniation that she had in an iguanal ligament this poor lady and it was lit the, you could see how the body tried to heal it and it was a perfect circle with the most delicious round edges that was perfect but it couldn't heal probably it couldn't get closed enough and then if we followed that line of pull diagonally straight across to the opposite uh lesser trochanter and she had two teeth growing out there they were osteocytes that had grown because of that line of pull Right. which had consequently changed how a knee worked. And it was just this history unraveling mm. in front of you. It was amazing, absolutely mm. amazing. And, that just, and that, what that does for me, it makes me go, okay, when I'm looking at somebody, what is affecting everything else? And how can I approach it so that they move everything globally better? Because you cannot work in isolation. It's impossible. If you move your foot, it moves your neck. And if things are not positioned properly, then those forces are transferred inefficiently and you create poor movement and stress and pain and discomfort. So then, so then, how would you just come back to the origins and assertions? And if there's no yeah, origins, we, would, and assertions, we were talking about myths. Mm. Yeah, if there's no origins and assertions, then what would you class them as, or how would you? The pathways. Think of it like a roadmap. Think of the body like a roadmap. That's why we have these fascial lines. They don't exist either. They only exist in dead people that you can pull it out and create it. What in, in a living person? What they are is a mapway of force transmission. So how I identify when you name something, there are six, over 600 named muscles. They're in the fighting new muscles all the time. They found another one in the thigh. We don't have quads, we have quints now. Yeah, five, uh, we've yeah. got one in the jaw, another one in the jaw that they found recently. Because they're changing how they dissect, they're changing how they're approached to dissection. But if you're, if you're trying to get from, uh, from here, let's go from here to Dubai. And we have to go from here, we have to go onto the Shakeside Road, we follow Shakeside Road, we end up in Dubai, And all those streets have different names. But it's the same tarmac. You yeah. just give them different names so we identify a certain location. So is it a language thing or is it a physical thing? It's a language thing. Okay. Yeah, we change the language to, so it fits our ability to bring people's attention to an area. Yeah. And that's all it is. And that's, that's what's good about when you're teaching anatomy. You have to give, like you say, people who are new to it and are learning a way of understanding. But you have to, it depends on the language you use because then you hardwire their understanding. And if you say this starts here and it finishes there, then that's how they're going to tell somebody how to move the arm or the leg or whatever. Yeah. Whereas you go, hang on a sec, this is in this region, this is where this tissue is going to be formed. It will directly, for instance, external obliques, we know comes from your ribcage and across diagonally to the opposing hip. Just keep but, that microphone nice and close to you. Yeah. But that, originate, that original originates at the 
from your serratus anterior, which comes from the external border of your scapula. So if you don't stabilize your shoulder, you can't do obliques properly. It's like on a slack rope or a slack ribbon, and only one portion is working. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, look, my anatomy was drilled into me over many years, so... I know a lot of what the streets are and I know what the language that we use for them is. Building on that has enabled me develop an understanding of how things work together and how things are connected through the nervous system and how the brain controls yep. this and that. So I, 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 I see your point with the, with the language might be ineffective, but a lot of the people who are teaching what we know and who have d- discovered what we know, they've used that language in the past. Correct. Do you know, they've, they've got to where they are on the, on the pinnacles. But well, that doesn't mean they're right. Perhaps. And that's the thing. If, you, if we want to change the outcome, we want to change to come to a more 21st century way of looking at anatomy and physiology, we have to be open to changing our language, changing our approach, which is what we're all trying to do. Yeah. There's two sides of the battle lines, and people are being ostracized because of this approach. And that's not good. That's not healthy. It should no, be embracing it never and is. encompassing. It's, like, yeah. it's not that we're saying you're wrong. I mean, we, we all have to start somewhere, and knowledge all starts from somewhere. And it was right at the time, and it got us where we got now. For instance, in my field, Joseph Pilates is a legend, absolute legend. He started something con- called controlology. It started from, some, from a, a place where there was a deep need to, 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 to be useful in World War I. And he didn't have a fitness first on the internment camp. He didn't have McDonald's and all these. He just mm. had himself and his ideas and his understanding of movement. But if you watch how he trained, you would never walk into his gym. It was brutal. <laughs> yeah. He was a hard man and he made you do it. And there was no modification. There was no subtlety or finesse. It was, we're doing it this way. And when you can do it this way, you're done. You're fixed. Mm-hmm. And we've learned. We've evolved over the last 30 years. We've taken a great model, a great concept, a great idea, which he evolved over his time too, once we understood science and, and, and physiology a bit better. And then we've adapted to So like even the things that I do in the last 17 years I've been teaching it, it has changed because if you don't evolve with it, you get left behind. Mm-hmm. And as I say to my students when I'm teaching them, if you've not read an nasty book in the last month, you're already behind. Because you're not keeping current, you're not keeping aware. And then you're, you, if you don't use it, it's like if, if you have any language but you don't use it, then you don't understand the concepts of the word you're using, and then your message gets mixed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, 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 the language of anatomy and physiology is Latin. It's, it's what it is. It is anatomy and physiology. And we use these words confidently, but we challenge them. So then what, what language would you use in order to teach a, a, a population size, like a volume of people who yeah. are learning these things for the first time, someone who's fresh in, off the street, they're leaving their career in a nine-to-five job to want yep. to get into fitness. Yep. They need to know the basics. Yep. How, like, what would the, where should the anatomy and physiology teachers shift towards? Uh, so, for instance, I just taught a brand-new functional anatomy 2 course in our studio. It uh, was uh, devised by, originally, um, it was a step up from FA1, functional anatomy 1, which was exactly that. It was talking about planes of motion, very linear, and very uh, about what type of contraction phases we have in our body and what those words mean to when you're watching somebody move. It's to help people set up before they come onto our course, which is all in this language. It's like a pre-course, if you like. Um, and I, I've chatted to my colleague that teaches that, and she's a really awesome instructor, absolutely awesome. And we're going to start tinkering with that as well to change that language so that we stop talking about being linear. We accept that there is sagittal, coronal, and transverse plane movement, but you have to blend them so they become one movement and demonstrate that.
And then on the FA2 course, we go into, for instance, I had a lot of people who'd done the FA1 course, so they had a base understanding. And I had to say, listen, understand this. What you learned before was good, but it, you have to change the fact and understand that we do not move like robots. We are not mechanical. And I explained that. And I said, yes, everything is connected. And on the course, we'll break things down into certain areas for ease of conversation, for ease of learning, for ease of attention scale. But you're going to understand by the end of it that everything is connected and everything is interrelated and everything affects everything else. And if, you st- if we start from that basis, then as you're cueing it and explaining and going through this detail, then it doesn't matter what area you're talking about the body, the principles are the same. You just bring them to attention to how certain uh, parts of the body have different functions and different requirements and different responsibilities for movement and stability and mobility and all the other good stuff. Mm. So that, that's, a, that, that's a foundation. And I, I asked the guys after they did the course what they thought of it, and they were like, oh, my God, I've just been blown away because I, I, I thought it was the book. And I said, it isn't, we are not a book. We're not a flat piece of paper. But it's a great way to review. It's a great way to bring your attention back to detail and go, okay, this is what I'm looking at. Look at the pictures and you'll see the muscular fibers that go. It's not the fibers and the muscle that are creating that. It is your fascial lines that are creating that. It is how you load fascia. For instance, you're not even born with an IT band. You don't have one when you're born. You don't need one. You create that by trying to stand up and falling over a lot. And your body goes, I need an IT band so I have some lateral stability. Explaining that about people's in the neck. If you have forward head, your head weighs 10 pounds on top, there or thereabouts. If it's 62 pounds at 45 degrees, you create an IT band in your neck because your body requires it, recognizes it's under pressure, defends itself by thickening tissue. If you explain these concepts, people start to pay more attention and go, well, how do I change that? How, what do I need to understand to realign my, my skeletal system properly so that I can do the things I want to do and I can enjoy the movement patterns and the exercise choices I do and enjoy them, understanding that exercise is going to create these challenges in my body, but I can enjoy them, embrace them, and get better from them. So I wanted to go back just back to the, the fascia and into that a little bit more. Can you delve into that? Um, before, sorry to throw you into the deep end here, but before we uh, shot the podcast, you were mentioning that there was a lot of controversial um, new uh, information that was coming out. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that and what the old, old kind of concept, fascial concept looks like. Well, um, we're, we're not, there is nothing new in the body. We're just rebranding it. Think of it that way. There was no new pieces in the body. There's, there's no new extra elements. There was, a new, there was a new medical study came out where a doctor said they'd found this new organ in the body, and he gave it a really nice name called the interstitium. Did you hear about that? You didn't hear about the new organ in the body? And it made worldwide news. It was on the news, and they're like, oh, my God, what did I do without this before I found <laughs> out about it? And uh, we have a, a lady who's, on, who's, who's huge in the fascial industry and in the world of um, medicine, and her name is Dr. Stecco, and her whole family is in this. And she sat down with the doctor, and they did a live interview. And, of course, the doctor... He didn't, it wasn't like she was trying to catch him out. She just wanted a clarification that this wasn't new. It's just that medical science and medical technology had caught up so that you could actually visually see it. But it's always been there. It's known as visceral fascia. It surrounds all of our organs. It's how your uh, certain neural pathways travel through it. Certain, uh, certain cells get formed in there. And it's always been there. And understanding that your, your viscera forms first. It's what we are. So your front, front of your body is actually your spine. And not the belly is not the front. And it's ex- understanding how things are formed and created in such a way that people recognize it and go, oh, I can apply that, I can utilize that information, as opposed to making it more mythical and more mysterious. So they're trying to simplify it. And it's like if you take a piece of meat, for instance, fascia is, there are six times more nerve endings in fascia than there are in muscular fibers. 
the brain needs the fascia to tell you what's happening. The, the brain does not get any information from muscle. This might be a real meathead question. Go for it. <laughs> but is that why an ITB band is far more sensitive when you're doing pressure? Well, we also, I also happen to have one of my colleagues who is a professor at Texas to do the research, and his colleague in his lab, uh, he presented the findings to the um, uh, chronic back pain conference that was here about three years ago now, and he says there's literally zero effect of rolling on your IT band. Yeah. Uh, for changing the length. Well, you can't change the length. No, yeah, yeah. yeah but, 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 but is it sensitive? Yes. Yeah, yeah. The sen- but is that, but is that why? Is it because of the fascia houses more? Well, nerve endings. More nerves. There's more nerve sensations in there, so that would be a great explanation why it hurts so much. Yeah. Because it's telling you to stop doing it. As opposed to the tissue being tight. It's not tight. Yeah. It is what it is. It's it's formed because of how you load it. If you want to influence how it how it does its job and how it structurally maintains lateral stability, you have to influence eighty percent of your glute max connects to it. Treat there. Treat soleus where the other end of it connects to. Treat there. You, there are now roll. There's a thing called a roll. It's lovely that new roller. So you have these tangential angles you need to get to get into tissue properly. That's how you influence fascia properly is by by having this tangential angle, more like a diagonal. And you must stay there for about up to a minute and a half to two minutes on each spot Talk to allow it to release. At what, what this piece of kit is? It's called a rolger. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, we uh, got introduced to it and we teach on one of our. So this is something that, that is beneficial. It's fantastic. It's amazing. So instead of it being a flat roller, it's rock solid. It's very light, but rock solid material is um, what's formed. But it has these uh, cur- uh, undulating curves in it, so you can put your IT band in the in the in the recess, but you can get to the lateral fibres of it, and you get to uh, vastus lateralis and intermedialis properly. So you can roll on the whole leg, and you should roll the whole leg. You should tr- treat and, and give your th- a whole fascial sheath that wraps around your uh, thigh treatment. Don't avoid rolling on the IT band, but don't stay there all day punishing yourself, hoping it's going to do something really positive, because it doesn't, you know? So you're talking about the edge, the, the, the smooth cylinder has a kind of an, a wave. Yes, there's a wave curvature. right through it. So okay, it's, it's about uh, two foot long, mm-hmm. and it has these lovely waves all the way through it, and you can put it right on the center of your spine, so your spinous process is good on the middle, and you get, those, uh, you get the laminar groove to get treated lovely. Oh, it's an amazing piece of yeah. kit. Yeah. So then, how come? Why would that benefit a ITB band, but a flat foam roller will make no difference? Because you get you, you get from the diagonal angle, you get to come in from the side of it. You get to put pressure on this tangent, tangential angle that you require to influence fascial tissue. That's why when you do, uh, if you do it with your hand and you do microfascia with your hand, you never go straight on. You don't push down. There's no effect whatsoever. You're just squashing. It's like squashing pastry. If you're trying to influence it, you must come up with angles and tangential angles, and then transverse work through the fibers to break up these cross links that are formed because of these uh, trigger points and muscular foot disformation. I'm struggling with this word tangential. What, what think, is t- uh, think diagonal. It's called tangential, that's the name of it. But right. It's just a diagonal angle. So you come in at, at a, 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 instead of being flat, you come in at an angle, you come in the tissue this way. So from the outside, I'm not just pushing straight in towards Correct. the bone. I'm yeah. pushing slightly in and slightly to the front. Correct answer. You come from different angles up and down, right. below and uh, you know, un- universally around the limb. And transverse as well, you said. Transverse friction. Once you're there, you want to then do transverse friction. Yeah. So you want to go across the fibers rather than with them. And what will the outcome then be? Is that a re- is that re- we're not going to talk release intention? No, I no, presume. no. You're stimul you're stimulating activity. You're you're creating an activity within the, within the within the connective tissues. Uh, for instance, if people say they want to stretch, and I say, again, this is another myth. You you just cannot stretch sacromeres. It just doesn't work. And you just, for instance, if you go for a, a steak and you buy an eight ounce steak. And you say, I want to make it 10 ounces. It's impossible without bashing it to death or, or tearing it. It's not possible to make those fibers longer. Right. 
you just you they have a certain uh, length capacity and you can take them to that and they bring them back with that that's that's your lot but within those fibers are your uh, epimycium your perimycium and endomycium fibers which are your fascial layers which collect and hold these bundles in position and there are fiber there are fascial fibers within the muscular spindle as well and by coming at these angles you influence those those um, fascial fibers to change their consistency so you should have that's like a honey consistency to the tissue we call it dehydration when it gets dehydrated so you hydrate it by compression it's like a capillary release effect so you have a sponge you squeeze it you let go it draws in the fluid around it that's what you're trying to do to the fibers and by doing that then you'll get this glide effect then where fibers that should go in one direction are allowed to go there and the other fibers go the opposite way but when you have dehydration and those fibers can't do that because those fascial links are, are stuck and dehydrated, instead of it being like a honey, it becomes very gluey and it drags those tissues in the same direction. And that's why people get pain. Okay, so I'm... I'm is that too much? No, no, I think I'm keeping up with you. So what you're describing <laughs> is basically the, the hydration of the cell at the, at, the, at the cellular level. No. The no. tissue... At a cellular level, when you have your you have your uh, bolt water that surrounds each cell, for sure. But that's when people can get sore. If you over compress a cell, it will die because it doesn't need to do that. But a cell has its own biotensegrity as well. A cell at its nucleus and and when it has that uh, exoskeletal system, it's like a mouse. It needs to have the ability to to contract, to reform, to move around the, the body. And yes, when you push those cells, and of course you're affecting cells all the time when you put pressure on them, but you're trying to get to the actual um, fascial layers. And it's within the fascia is that you're trying to facilitate these compressive fibers. So the collagen. The collagen, yeah. So in the, it's called the extracellular matrix. Okay. So okay. everything on the outside of the cell is what we're talking about. Okay. On the inside of the cell, you have a thing called an integrin. That it's a, like a like a bridge from the outside where all the fluids are, which is what we're trying to uh, promote. And then uh, that information is passed through the integrin into the nucleus of the cell. Okay. If you want to talk about intracellular activity. Okay, I'm with you now. Good. Yeah, okay. There's a lot to take in there. Um, <laughs> talk to me then about the hold that the nervous system, the nerves, yes. the sympathetic, parasympathetic yep. response, how will that affect fascia? Well, simply, uh, well, let's understand what sympathetic and parasympathetic mean first. So, for instance, sympathetic system is, is your, is your uh, fight or flight or your responsive or your alert state uh, structure. So when we're talking about structural change and you're talking about exercise, you need that to be alert. The more alert it is, the more efficient it passes the signals to the brain, then the more functionality you're going to get from your body. And, but they're non-myelinated. They're, so they're myelinated fibers. They have a sheath around them which allows the nerve and the information to pass very fastly. So we talk, we call it like the, it's the shake that road. It's like the super highway of information to your brain. With the toll. <laughs> yeah. With the toll, yeah? Yeah. But pain doesn't travel there. Pain travels on your, paras- on your uh, unmyelinated system and in your parasympathetic system. And that's where pain is. And it's, and it's masked by high-intensity information to the brain. And that's why people get hurt. That's why they feel pain more when they relax, when they have a massage, when they've slept, when they've had a bath at the end of training. Because the brain is not getting this excessive information to it to distract it. It can then pay attention to the parasympathetic system, which is where your restorative uh, movements are. And it can go, oh, there's this pain. I need to deal with this now. I'll now send signals down there to deal with that scenario. And that all comes from those fascial links, those fascial continuities that come from your toe to the top of your head. Mm, okay. I love your facial expression. No, I'm right now. no, no yeah, well, I'm, I'm trying to keep pace with what you're saying. Because um, this is all a new way of looking at it for me. Um, the idea that you're describing is 
brand new. I have to say, like this is new for me. I was, I would be very much of a. I obviously know everything's connected and things have worked together, yep. and and I understand the idea that you're discussing with the biomechanics. We're not a robot; it doesn't work together. Yeah, my understanding of fascia is limited. Um, but it should be, it should be, it should be, literally at the top of your list of things to learn. If you have any issue and dealing with people, you must understand the whole architecture. It's like saying I'm in charge of buildings, but I don't know what a brick is. Because it's you, a good analogy. If you don't understand what you're made of, how can you influence how it's going to function positively well then, well then, without understanding mm-hmm. the negative impacts that come from it? So, for instance, here's, here's a throwball like you. If exercise is good for us, and I say this when I do lots of lectures to teach people, if exercise is good for us, and it, it obviously, that, before I say that, it obviously has very good health implications. I get that. But if it's so good for us, how come every injury clinic on the planet is full with a waiting list of people that exercise with injuries? Like it makes it beggars belief, and well, it's just well, because well, of our approach. Would you say the answer to that is because people don't understand fascia? Because they don't understand the body. Well, inefficient movement. They don't understand the how the body functions, and they don't understand that. Uh, for instance, most people's gyms who can afford what we do is one, one of those desks. It's they're sat at that desk all day. Uh, in this city, for instance, we listened to your last podcast, and it was really interesting listening. But most people suffer because of an abundance. They have too much of everything. They don't know what to do with it. And here, they have too much time. They have too much time. Everybody works very hard. But if you understand how your body relates to that time and what you do with it, for instance, if you're sat in a chair and you're not moving your eyes, uh, actively moving to to initiate movement of your body, there's certain fibers within your muscular structure that go to sleep in your spine. Their role is to create stability and anticipate movement. But they're not moving, so they go to sleep, they become very dormant, and then they go to the gym for a couple of hours a week to really work hard. And what they train is the extracellular muscles, the ones that are furthest away from the spine, the ones that are not responsible for stability, mm-hmm. to be the stabilizers. That has a deformation effect on the skeletal system and then results in poor movement and pain and all sorts of health care issues and scenarios. Yeah, I, yeah, you're not wrong. But I, are you, would you think then that the reason why there's so many people who are in pain is basically because the people who are coaching them or people who are teaching them are lacking this knowledge about fascia and yes. about how it moves yes 100 percent. so is it specifically about that or is it that there is so much to learn no it's not it, it, it is really simple if you can understand that certain parts of your job have a, a responsibility certain parts of your body have a responsibility to do a role but you go to a facility that tells those very structures to not work and then uh, because they're, oh, for instance, let's, let's talk about something that makes sense. What about the, the biggest exercise in the, in the world for abdominals is planking? That may be second to sit-ups and crunches. Would you crunch your car? But they constantly do it. And what you have to understand is when you do a plank, firstly, you have to ask yourself, do you want to be a plank? Because we're not meant to be static and still. And then re- expect our body to respond in a way that is useful to it. So planking is told, they're told to hold it for sometimes a minute, sometimes more. But what happens when your body's under stress and when it becomes painful, the very thing that holds your spine together, the, the lowest, they call your level one fibers, if you know that, you're, I'm sure you know, but your, your fibril types, the level ones, they go to sleep. Their role, because they're so close to the spinal column and they're so close to the, the, the bone, is to stabilize those joints. But you put it under high pressure and put them in a scenario where they're going to struggle and fatigue, they turn off. 
So then, as you know, you train all these uh, structures that are farthest away from the skeletal system and hope that they work for you when you go for a walk, when you go for a run, when you go to lift weights. And they can't because you've, taught, you've trained them to mm-hmm. disengage and, uh, and not work. Yeah, I understand that. But I, what I, w- would you then say you need to stop everything and we need to sit down and learn fascia and learn fascial trains? Or would you talk about you need to focus on activating the correct muscles. We need to take yes. the intensity down. So, yeah, I yeah. was going to ask that. So where, where would the starting point be if we're not going to the gym to lift heavy load to activate the superficial, maybe not postural? Uh, where yeah. would we start then? No, I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think it's awesome. I think what we have to decide is that if we understand how we, we cannot separate things, that everything's influenced by everything else. But knowing how to influence something particularly by changing loads, by changing approach to movement, by understanding how we structurally should work and then re- replicating that. And I think that everybody can do that because it's called moving, it's called walking. But people don't walk. They don't choose to walk. And they, don't, they certainly don't understand the concept of not walking properly and the, and the ramifications of it. And every personal trainer knows how to do that. They know how to put one leg in front of the other. They certainly know that the sacrum is meant to uh, nutate and counternate appropriately with thoracic rotation. But who does that? We don't do that. We don't promote that. What we promote is uh, squats, yeah. thousands of squats. Do you want to be a squat? If you want to be a kangaroo, do squats. But okay, squats don't make you have a great ass. They make you have great thighs, and they, they prevent your sacrum moving, which then lowers the lumbar inefficiently, which then has other consequences up, up the chain up into the neck. But I think if we, if we train our trainers in a way that is more functional, when I say, I say functional with a, with a hesitant, because yeah. somebody's functionality mm-hmm. is somebody else's is nightmare. So it's got to be relative to what they're going to do. But if we're going to train properly, we want to make sure we're doing low load and low intensity properly, yeah. that we are doing high load correctly, because it's really good. You need resistance. You need loaded. Uh, we need that for power, for, for, for force of movement. We absolutely need that for force transmission. But it's just one-dimensional training at the minute, and, and a lot of it, a lot of high intensity. And people only come to us once they're injured. They don't, because there is no money invested in preventative. It's all about what can I do after I've got it. And that's the scenario we're in right now, and it's just it's life, and that's why I don't I don't mind that people are doing things wrong because we're full, we're working every day trying to fix these things. But it would be much nicer. It's a much nicer scenario to help people avoid getting injured and enjoy the exercise that they love doing, with knowing that they can they, that they're training the body in such a way that it will try and heal itself effectively. Yeah. No, I totally agree that the way people are training now is sort of a byproduct of the emergence of the bodybuilding era in the kind of 80s and 90s, mm. you know, people... That's sure. But it's sh- also, it's particularly right now, it's m- obviously we're all in the fitness industry, it's massively influenced by social media and all of these new yeah. apps and teaching people very simplistic exercises um, that you can watch on your phone in an app. Yeah, like we're going to squat today because you want to lose 10 kilos. So, so the fitness industry is changing so much because of technology, Um because people now don't need to go to a Pilates studio. They can just download an app and the app is going to teach them how to do their five abdominal exercises. But it's not though, is it? Of course not. Absolutely not. People want things at ease and at convenience. And so for me, technology has been a nightmare. It's changed the industry. My clients, when I first started 17 years ago, they were averaging 40, 50, 60. Now all my clients are 20, 30, 40. All yeah. of them. And I'm doing 13 hours a day. But people that are in discomfort and pain and are not able to enjoy their life as, if, as nice as they'd like to, and they, and they totally should. And what I find very frustrating, and in more scenarios than, than most, we have them moving better in one hour than they've had in months or even years in some cases. And in what are you doing approaches. with them? 
I'm looking at biotensegrity approaches to the body. I'm looking at them as a whole. I'm identifying why they're in, in such a position that they're feeling this discomfort, what they're doing with it, and then showing them and making them own the change. And once they change it, they change it for good. You cannot do, you cannot change things. It takes 50,000 repetitions, perfect repetitions, to change a, a motor control system. So and I make sure that they do perfect movement. We don't do one bad repetition, not one. Because your body doesn't care how you move, good or bad. It will hardwire it. It just will hardwire it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you can just promote good movement and say, now you own that movement, and I don't give them a piece of paper, I make them write it down, or I make them videotape themselves doing it, because they don't move like me, I don't move like them. They need to know how they move. And if you get them in the correct start position, and you align them properly, and you show them those changes, and you get them to feel those changes at a nervous level so they can understand the sensation, because you can't do it with a mirror. Unless you've got a team of people walking around you with a mirror going, yeah, you're gorgeous. <laughs> because that's not how you live. That's not how you function. So if they, they must understand the change. They must recognize the changes and, and, and then give them appropriate exercises that are going to reinforce those changes. And then they're good to go. And, and we're, getting, we're doing amazing. We're having great results. And that's why we're inundated. That's why we're full. Uh, and that's why we're training. We're training the trainers. We are now known in the, in the city as the people that come to for the anatomy and physical training and the movement training, because we show people how it should be done, and it's brilliant. And how long did it take you to amass the knowledge that you've got now? Because what you're talking about is not something that people are going to get in a course. They're not going to get in a in a one-year, two-year, in, follow the process, out, and now they're at the stage where no, that they can meet that's the, true. the level you're talking about. No, but I, I, I train people every month. We have 40-hour courses. We have a, a three-day course that was 18 hours. And they leave, they leave skilled, they leave competent to, to approach it. But it's always an ongoing continuation. Like this year, I don't like talking about money because I'm not interested in it, but I personally invested 50,000 dirhams of my money to do three courses because I'm continually educating. I want to stay current. And I went over to the UK a few times. I'm going to Berlin next month to, see, to do the fifth uh, uh, fascial conference where all the experts will be there. They'll all be there. We'll all be discussing and and making sure we understand the language. And there'll people be there who are on the same team, d- uh, divided opinions and, and talking about different approaches. And it's, we're always evolving. And that's the problem. You say how long. There is no such thing as how long. It's, it's, a, it's forever evolving. And if you're, yeah. if you're not in it, you're out of it. Yeah. And, that's, and that, again, is just, it's just that little problem with our industry, which is why I, I did the personal training course, to find out why people get injured. Mm. And that took six months. It was a six-month course. It was good. I liked it. I thought, this is really good. But I can see where if you don't follow this up, then you really take yourself down a cul-de-sac. You take yourself down a dead end, and you go, and you don't know why you're not getting the results you're expecting from your clients because it's a certain approach. So if you have that under your belt, that's a great start. But then you must evolve. You must go, okay, what am I seeing when I'm doing it? Is it effective? Partly, yes. But I'm not getting great results over here. What else do I need now to do? And it's got to be more than a, a workshop or a weekend. Mm-hmm. It's got to be something more investable. Because you're t- dealing with people's lives and their body and the future. Yeah. And I don't think, lo- because of the financial implications of our trainers, and they're not paid great, I don't believe they're paid after what they should be paid. But that's, I know that's a constraint. So they're yeah. looking for quick fixes and quick courses and a weekend course and they're specialised in a certain affordable. area. Like, that's even if they are looking for any course in Well, the first a lot place. of them are not, right? And yeah. if they're not, then they shouldn't be allowed to touch a body. And I, I know that's a big slash statement, but if you're not conscious of what you're doing to somebody, you really shouldn't be doing it. If you were a chef and you didn't care what ingredients went in, you, you wouldn't be a chef for long. If you're a mechanic and you've never looked under the bonnet. If you can only change tyres mm-hmm. and an exhaust. Yeah. Nobody would let you do anything mm-hmm. intricate, would they? Yeah, which, I mean, look, we're coming from the same, the same philosophy. This is why yeah. we, we're, we're building the project that we're yeah. trying to build. But I think anybody listening to this now is like, 
what you're describing is just pulling the rug out from what they've spent so long learning and it's almost they're going to second guess and question well then why have I been getting good results with with 50% of my it clients it depends on what results they're getting of course what yeah, they yeah, consider yeah. is a good result yeah but and they'll have forgotten the, the clients that they couldn't help who've Correct. left we them. always remember success yeah 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 so and which then, is good you want to use that success and then the, the more success you get the more you you you, uh, you confirm your own strategy and well, you, you stay reinforce in your approach you go yeah. I do it this works I'm continuing to do it that way yeah and the thing is not everybody's the same we've already said that if you go into the body everything is never where you expect mm. it to be on two people at the same time it just yeah. is not there so if you, for instance, when I'm teaching guys how to teach, I say, listen, you have a great teaching style. This is awesome. You, this is, you're such a natural at this way of teaching. But a third of your class have no idea what you're talking about because they learn differently. They yeah. don't understand and retain information the same way. And you have to challenge yourself in learning different teaching styles so that you can cater for these other people that require a different approach, whether it be a different verbal cueing or a different anatomical approach or a different palpation or maybe they need a kinesthetic approach where they're watching something. But you, you have to have this library of, of, of approaches, whereas people get very pigeonholed. Yeah. And my way works, and well, that's it. Do you know what I find, particularly in the Pilates method, yeah. when you're discussing, say, classical and contemporary yes. Pilates, it, there can be a tendency to become very, this is my methodology, I oh, have yes. to do it this way. And unfortunately, it limits people's ability to, okay, to be broad-minded. Well, um, yeah, exactly. That's our interview, you know, it's, it's exactly yeah. that. There's a classical approach, and they're adamant that that's the only way to do it. And it clearly isn't. It's a great way to do it. I like classical plateaus. If you've got no injury, go to it. It is a great workout. It is fab. Mm. But if you want to move properly and identify your own weaknesses and your own strengths and try and find some sort of harmony and get that homeostasis properly, you have to have a different approach and you have to be open to trying different variations. Like if you only do plateaus, you're going to look terrible. <laughs> it's just the truth, right? And I'm a plateaus advocate. I'm like passionate as hell as it. If you only do CrossFit, you'll look like an ape. Like, it's just, if you only do one thing, you're going to look like you, you do yeah. that one thing. You yeah. need variety. And, and, and that's the great thing about exercise and movement, especially in this city. We are flipping inundated with options and different modalities and mm. great inspirational people who want to do amazing work. And I think they outshine the people that don't. So I like the, that side of it because this city is phenomenal. And it, it, lets, us, it lets us evolve properly. And, but if we evolve together and we challenge each other, I think that's got to be the future. Yeah. And so the rug has been taken over from you. So what? Own it. Say, well, what I thought was right. And if they can't stand the ground and say, this is what I know because, then they go, okay, well, let's be open to a change of approach then. Why, is it, why do I feel that like that's happened to me? Or challenge the people that are saying that I've taken the rug away and go, well, justify that. And then we have a dialogue. And you create dialogue, you create change. You create change, it's exciting. And then we start with creating new approaches. Yeah. Well, that's what I'd like to, 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 to fit, almost finish on is, like, how can somebody who's now sitting wherever they're listening to this, whether they're watching it or just listening to it, like, maybe they couldn't keep pace with some of the stuff you were saying because there's quite, quite a lot of detail there. But what you're talking about is what you've learned on your six-month, nine-month, 12-month, two-year diploma course. Eh, forget it. Firstly, we're agreeing that they need to learn more because the, the, the industry is always... They need to evolve yeah. They need to let their learning continue. It must be a continuous learning thing. Yeah. There, there is no end to learning. There can't be. There just, there just isn't, right? It's, yeah. You, you, it, because everybody's hypothesis is changed by somebody else's hypothesis, and that's just a theory. It's just my theory is as good as yours or mine refutes yours. Yeah. And you've got to use common sense. And I personally, I used to... My history, my background is driving trucks. 
That's my job. I used to drive trucks and stand under aeroplanes, refueling them, bored to death. And I just happened to go, I'm done. I'm not doing this for 40 more years. I'm going to go back to college and learn something that I like. And my background of exercise is martial arts. And when I first learned something at eight, my instructor, with my little white belt on, he says, you know that movement now. Go and teach those black belts. Go and teach them that simple movement that you know and reinforce that you know it. And they'll do as they're told because they're black belts and they'll respect the fact that you're there teaching them. And I've continued that way of learning. Every time I learn something, I share it. Because, because I believe there's a teacher in everybody. And I think everybody can understand what you're saying. Like I said at the beginning, I treat everybody like a genius until they say they're an idiot. Because I don't think people are idiots. I think people want to know. And I think yeah. you've got to find the right language that, that mm. is appropriate and doesn't frighten them. Well, this is what I want to finish on is what we've spoken about can be quite frightening. Yeah, well, so yep. motivate the people that are listening now going, oh, shit. Like, how do they it's go? Not, oh shit, though, is it? You have to hold yourself accountable and audit yourself. And that's what I say to people. Every time you've done a session, for instance, if I'm doing 13 hours tomorrow, and I say, okay, at 7 o'clock I'm starting, and I'm finishing it around 8 or 9 o'clock at night, I don't give discount as the day goes on, as I get more tired and I can't be bothered. They, the person at the end gets exactly the same treatment as, as I do at the very beginning, and everyone deserves it because the, the price is the same, and it's flipping a lot of money. And I understand, and I really respect the people that pay it. And so should the, the, these guys. They should repeat that their clients are coming in. And they're expecting you to know what you're talking about. And you have to own yourself and go, okay, did I do my best job today? Or did I do generic work? Would it have mattered who was in front of me? Or was I dealing with an individual person and I give them my very, very best? Because if you do that, you'll then challenge yourself and you'll go, I didn't do that very well. I don't really understand the scenario that was in front of me today. I didn't get the same result I was expecting as I did with 10 other clients. Why did it not? And then they'll go and start to get curious and they'll start to challenge themselves and they'll look for avenues and people that can assist them and where they might gain that knowledge without so it being it. frightening. So, so what avenues would you advise people go down or what, what should you think, what would you advise people start thinking about? Yeah, they want to start looking at, at doing at least one anatomy course a year. Find one that's relevant and current. They're all over the world. Unfortunately, they're not in Dubai often enough, I don't think. This could be something we could do. Yeah. Why can't the leading physical therapists around here, there's enough specialists in this city, create a, a really awesome set of workshops and courses that we don't have to travel across the globe to yeah. see? Because we've got them here. We're even trying to create a fascial congress here. We're trying to create one. So if we get the world specialists to come here, that would be amazing. Because everybody's going to America or Germany at the minute. Yeah, Why yeah. can't they come to the Middle East? We cater for the whole of Asia. Yeah. Like it would be phenomenal, right? And then do that and get on a journal. Find a journal that's relevant to what you're like teaching. So I like the bodywork journal. That's my one. And you get the latest research. You get the latest findings. You don't have to understand the science. You read the conclusion. tells you what they did, why they did it, and what they found out about it. There's the same for personal training. There's, there's lots of articles out there that they could read. They're easy. They're cheap. They're not expensive. It just takes time and a little bit of dedication to go, I'm going to do a little bit of research this week to add to what I've been doing. And you know your next client's coming. You know you've done your screening form, you've done your park queue and all this really cool stuff that you guys do. But, so you know what the scenario is going to be faced with. You've got time then to research that person and go, okay, they've got scoliosis, what do I do? It's not hard. You don't have to be a scientist to be good at this. You just have to care. Um, yeah. What was the last thing you said just now? They just have to care. They don't have to be a scientist, they just have to yeah. care. So, okay. Um, should we just finish up after that? I can edit this out. Yeah, edit it out. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep it running. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me just clap again, just so you can sync it. One, two, three. Um, Paul, I love everything that you're saying. It really resonates so much. I really feel like uh, 
it, you're right. It's people can't do one course and expect like, oh, okay, I have my diploma. That's it. Pack my bags. I know everything. Um, learning and particularly the human body is an evolving, evolving thing. Um, you always need to keep learning and keep educating yourself and discovering new things. And not just because the information changes, but also because it keeps you alive as a teacher. Sure. Yeah. It keeps you excited, yeah. like really excited. And again, when you start getting to a place where you're just being mindless, stop and, and go well, back and invest. Yeah. And reinvest in your own exactly. yourself. And, and I think it's such a, an amazing thing we get to do with people. We get to watch them smile. We get to encourage them to move amazingly. I, 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 my background is crotchy. It is not healthy to get punched in the face a lot, but I like doing it. There's a consequence <laughs> of that, which is why I then do exercise that helps me re- regenerate and refocus and restore my tissues so that they can heal properly, so I can go out and do it again. Yeah. That's why we have triathletes. We have triathletes. We have every type of intense sport here in the city. But people are getting hurt unnecessarily. Because they don't know there's a way to they should do progressively first uh, in a preventive way. Mm. Yeah, I'd agree with all of that. Yeah, that's amazing. So, Paul, if people wanted to, to go on to your courses or to get a hold of you or to ask you some questions or to do some Pilates with you, where could they reach you? Where could they find you? I don't you? have a computer. Oh. So, but what I do have is a phone number but I'll give you guys. Uh, and I think, is it Pilates? Did you say I'm called Pilates underscore Paul? Yes. Right. Apparently, that's my Instagram. Somebody created for Pilates me. underscore Paul. And I work yeah. at Rail Pilates in JLT. Mm-hmm. And I'm there every single day. Amazing. I'm sure Rail Pilates have uh, Instagrams around about that name. Oh, they've got tons of stuff. Yeah, yeah. they do. Awesome. They do. Okay, well, All thank good. you very much for coming to speak to us. Yeah, Paul. and the very it's informative very, very, talk. Uh, enlightening and mm-hmm. lots of food for thought there with mm-hmm. that. Cool. Yeah, awesome. we appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you.